everyone. I'm very honored and excited to be speaking to today's guest, the co-founder and CEO of Positive Luxury, a company that supports and guides luxury businesses to build sustainable brands. Months ago, Diana and I were both part of the FT's Global Luxury Conference, where she spoke about sustainability in 2030 and beyond. And I can easily say that I had an intellectual crush. <laughs> so Diana, thank you very much for speaking to me today and for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for actually having me today. And I never heard about the intellectual crush, but actually I can correspond the same back to you because uh, what you're doing is brilliant in terms of your business. So yeah, Dito, what goes around comes around really. Thank you, thank you. And can't wait to see you in Paris soon. So before we talk about positive luxury, we would like to get to know you a little bit better. How was your background and upbringing? How, how did your background and upbringing influence your passion for sustainability? It's a running joke because my surname is actually green, it's verde, verde nieto. So I think I was born for it. But the reality is that I was born in dictatorship and I always been passionate about human rights. And, and my ambition was to be a human rights lawyer, but actually, you know, my family never let me study it because of all the things that happened, you know, to, you know, all the fears that it was around that thing growing up in Argentina, really. So I turned on to business and then at the age of like 22, 23, I came to the UK only following a boy, nothing to do with business. And, uh, I very quickly split up with a boy, but I kind of got London instead. And that opened my mind and my eyes to an incredible wealth of opportunity. And that is when I discover sustainable development and when I fell in love with it. So this was very, very early, early on, like in the late nineties. It's true, actually, before you started Positive Luxury, more than 20 about 20 years ago you founded your sustainable communications consultancy so we all know 20 years ago sustainability was not as widely accepted or talked about in those days uh, what challenges did you face early on and how did you overcome them and maybe before even i ask this question why did you start a sustainable communications consultancy to begin with what gave you the idea even back then it was love at first sight. So when I discover environmental technology, it was everything I wanted uh, from life was the passion for nature, the passion for mathematics, the passion for human rights and the, the passion for the planet. So it was very simple. And I came across the Brooklyn report in the first time that we started to, to, to read about sustainability and go Harlem Brooklyn define sustainable development as meeting the needs of today without compromising the needs for future generations. And this was basically probably 99, the year 2000, when I, when I came first in, encountered this Brooklyn report. And that was it, that, that, that was it, that did it for me. And that is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And that is what I have done for the rest of my life. And I could not find a job doing sustainability at that point, because at that time, nobody really even talked about it. But I did find a job doing ISO certifications was the closest I could do about sustainability at that point. And then I, I thought, you know, business 
cannot be any other way than this way. There's no future but a sustainable future. And that's why I started my own business, um, which was the first international sustainability consultancy out of the UK. I grew that business into China, the US and, uh, and Europe and obviously the UK. And that was it for me. This, is, this was the only way that you, know, you can do business. And then I guess a bit of certain, a bit of luck, a bit of like, you know, kind of a health win enabled me to meet former Vice President Al Gore, being trained by him. Uh, we did the launch of the Inconvenient Truth here in the UK, my old company. I had the absolute luxury of working with companies like Unilever, like Vodafone, Kraft in China, Coca-Cola in China. We used to work with FMCG brands and actually do incredible work. And the rest of history, I never look back. I never, since I study environmental technology, I could never think about doing business in any other way. Did you face any challenges early on? Maybe you should ask me, did I have no challenges? Or, or, <laughs> I mean, everything was a challenge. Yes. It's not just me. I mean, is there are, for example, people like the guys at Putera, uh, Soli Townsend has started at the same time that I started my previous company. Although we are competitors, open, close, close quotes, we always chat about how hard it was because it was like banging your head against a brick wall because nobody understood what we were going on and on and on about. And it's only literally about three years ago, literally three years, that the world has waking up to sustainability. I mean, when we started Postman Luxury 10 years ago, luxury brands are still asking what, what, why was this important? You know, we wrote a report in my previous companies with WWF back in 2010 called Deeper Luxury. You probably can download it in which we were questioning uh, all of these back then. So this is not a new topic. This has been going on for years and years and years. And it's a real shame. I mean, people like John Elkington, Jonathan Porritt, that have been going on for this for God knows how long. I mean, they're in their 70 now. John Elkington wrote the first consumer, the first ethical consumer guide back in the 80s with a, a, an incredible woman called Julia Hayes. This is not new. Absolutely. This has been going on for a long time. What breaks my heart is the fact that we've just woken up to this. Yes. And the fact that we only have, you know, 20 years, maybe 30 years, if we're lucky, to actually solve the biggest problem that our generation, not just our generation, but the human race have ever encountered. And it's only teamwork and collaboration will get us out of it. I couldn't agree more. I think with COVID, you are absolutely right. To me, when I think about sustainability or, or talk with anyone about sustainability, it's almost like, to me, it's basics. It's basic way of being, basic way of doing business. I can't think of any other way to do business, but to do it sustainably. Otherwise, you can grow this super fast rate. You can keep doing that forever. But like you said, only in the very recent years, we are now talking about sustainability. Everyone, especially with COVID, that I feel it accelerated our communication and awareness of, about sustainability, that we really started to have the rather difficult conversation. And finally, yeah. people are saying, well, okay, maybe it's not a hoax. It's, it's a shame in some ways that it took so long. 
Yeah, I think I think COVID, the effect that COVID had is to make us face our own vulnerabilities as, as, a, as a race, like everybody was equal, everybody was under the same threat. And COVID didn't understood wealth or color or gender or any of that. COVID was COVID for everyone. And I think climate change is also the same. I mean, climate change, I, I wrote a paragraph the other day. Climate change doesn't see color, religion, race or the size of your bum. You know, it just everybody is the same. And, and this is the thing is like, I think the acceleration to understand the fragility of our world and the fragility of, of our humanity is helping us to open our eyes and, and actually see what is in front of us. It's a real shame that we only believe things when we experience them. And instead of, you know, understanding the science and so on. And sometimes for that is, is too late. And I really hope that teamwork, and what I mean teamwork is politicians, NGO, businesses, people, everybody collaborates and work together to actually, you know, turn the boat around because we really need to get to these 1.5 degrees pre-industrial revolution levels uh, of carbon dioxide. Otherwise, you know, we started seeing it. Look at the headlines, it's devastating. The new IPCC report is terrible. And I, I am an optimistic person. So that's why I do what I do. I do believe that business are a force for good. And I believe that is not enough to be less bad. Now is the time to be positively good. And I appeal to business leaders that are listening to this, that that's what we need to do. We need to invest and put our money where our mouth is and stop greenwashing. And I'm really turning the boat around. Absolutely. So with the positive luxury, that's what you are doing. So why did you, I think you answered it already, but why did you start it? And, uh, you know, in the famous phrase of Simon Sinek, why do you do what you do? Because I don't see in any other way doing anything else. That's the reality. I'm addicted to my job. Yes. I'm addicted to impact. And I think that, you know, positive impact, and I'm talking about this from a real perspective, from a measurable, quantifiable, social and environmental impact. So social is the, is the language of more. To have impact, you have to have more. You have to have sustainable livelihoods. And that means everyone has to live better than they're living now. Um, either better in terms of better working conditions, better in life work balance, better in everything. But environmental language is the language of less, less of everything, less impact in the planet, less packaging, less chemicals, less, less, less. It's only by getting this equation of the language of less and the language of more when we really, and, and obviously the, the money part of it, so the profit part of it, when the people, planet and profit gets into absolute complete harmony is when we start measuring impact and the impact can be positive or negative. And that is why I am, I have invested almost 23 years of my life to do the same thing over and over again. And I do wish for better results and the better results is I really want to work for businesses and I say for businesses and with businesses that truly want to have a positive impact in the world. So for those of us, for those who join us and don't know about positive luxury, can you describe, can you tell us about positive luxury? 
and can you describe the process and how can a luxury and fashion brand join positive luxury and get the infamous butterfly mark? Absolutely. I mean, we are a sustainability accelerator. And that what means is that we can fast forward you towards actually embedding sustainability into your business strategy, not creating a CSR department, not creating a sustainability department, but embedding sustainability into your business strategy. And how do we do this is we have a systemized certification process. So we look at environment, governance, innovation, and social, so ESG plus, mm -hmm. plus the innovation part. And we systemically look at a set of different KPIs in terms of how does your business perform? And only by having 50% on ESG and innovation, so environmental, social governance and innovation, 50% on each one of them, you actually will get the butterfly mark. If you don't, which most businesses don't in the, in the very beginning, we help you out to get there. That doesn't cost you more money. It's for us, we teach you how to fish and how to equip your employees and also your suppliers to actually have systemic positive impact in the world. So a business by itself cannot fix it. it only by working with their suppliers will be able to fix this. And that's what we do. We help your ecosystem as a brand to systemically think about sustainability. So we, unfortunately, we cannot change the system. It's too big. <laughs> but if we can change the ecosystem of each brand, the ecosystem of the brands as a, as a whole, like the luxury industry, can definitely help big way to change the system no it's uh, it's very interesting because I, as i told you before we started uh, our podcast with Nerikara, i'm in the process of applying to positive luxury to get the butterfly mark and i never really used sustainability in my communication strategy let's say but from the very beginning it's uh, built on the sustainability principles so when I start the process with positive luxury, it's interesting how everything is structured because it's it's making me think about my own business in different ways and it, it, in much more structured and systematic way that I didn't really have it, everything written in front of me before. So it also helps me be more organized in some ways. So I, I think even though I'm in the very beginning, it's very interesting how it works. So I'm really looking forward to the next steps myself. Thank you very much. And I mean, we are really looking forward to working with you too. And I think it's, uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's systemic and you go bit by bit. But when you get on the other side, is you will have not just a sustainable business, but hopefully your suppliers will start also thinking about sustainability as well. So it's not just you. Yes. It's everybody that you touch in your ecosystem. It's so true. Employees, everyone. It's yeah. very true. And also the things that you do as a business. Let's say you you know you help your community, but you don't think about it as being part of sustainability, but it is. So even like helping build schools in your community, which we did, it's part of sustainability. So it's interesting to see everything laid out and how it all works almost in synergy together. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest challenge that sustainability have is to stop thinking in silos. 
-hmm. So, you know, we think about plastic and then we think about packaging and then we think about materials and then we think about, but it's all, we're trying to fix the specific problems. And I always say, you know, if you want to fix a bath, you can't put plasters. You need to think about what kind of bath you need. And if it doesn't work, you have to change the bath. But you can't fix bits of it. You can't put plasters. You have to think about systemically. And this is what we have gone wrong because, you know, even when we talk about circular economy, it's like we only say, think about one bit of the system. We don't think about the whole system. So to give you an example, you know, all the bags that said, oh, you know, recyclable bags, some of those bags get recycled into black bean bags, into black bags, which in turn are not recyclable. So we don't fix the problem. We just fix one bit of it, but then we create a different problem. And that is how we have, well, how we as humans manage most things. But I think that, you know, not thinking systemically and challenge ourselves enough to think, to think systemically, um, you know, we will, perpetuating this chain of, of problem after problem after problem. And sometimes, you know, this is the time to be bold because unless it's go, be bold or go home, the moment for that is now. Do you think there is, a, I know you said you are an optimistic person. Do you think we can do it? If I didn't think I would, we can do it, I would have stopped trying. Okay. So I really think that we can do it. I think that we cannot do it alone. We need the help of governments more than ever before. We need to regulate many things. We need to have stop making choices. We need to have an, an industry that is actually regulated like many other industries. And I think that the term accountability needs to be taken seriously, meaning that people need to be accountable. Politicians need to be accountable. Business leaders need to be accountable. And we also need to hold our peers accountable for their actions. So yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a combination of many different things. I don't think it's a magic bullet. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's going to be uh, teamwork to, to be able to, to move it. But I think we can. I really think we can. I want to also ask you on a more personal uh, note, butterflies to me have a personal significance. And they are, they've been part of my own brand symbolism, both for Moda Metier and for Nerikara. I want to ask you, why did you choose butterfly as a symbol for positive luxury? To be honest with you, I met Sir David Attenborough at an award dinner because I presented him with uh, his Lifetime Achievement Award. And only by displaying my complete ignorance, you know, when you talk to somebody that knows so much about the natural world uh, like him, that we got into the subject of dinosaurs. And of course, I believe the marketing that the T-Rex was the biggest dinosaurs in the world. But I found out that actually it's the Argentinosaurus, <laughs> which is from Argentina, actually back then, I don't know now, but you know, that being the biggest dinosaur in the world, blah, blah, blah. And then we got into this kind of survival species extinction. And he told me the story of the British blue which is a blue butterfly that was extinct in 1980s. And it's one of the most successful insect reintroductions in the world. So it was extinct from the British Isle and scientists took the DNA of the ant, of the uh, butterfly, put it on an ant and put it on, uh, I think it's Devon um, or Dorset. I can't really remember the place. 
and it was the most successful insect reintroduction. And today you can spot the blue butterfly in 30 different locations on the UK. Oh, wow. And I remember the night, the night that I gave him his award was uh, in November and it was uh, snowing and I took uh, my high heels shoes out and I walked him to a taxi because I thought if I slip on high heels and I drop, you know, a national icon like David Attenborough, he feels because of me, I'll be, you know, in jail probably. So <laughs> I took my shoes off and I walked him to a taxi and I said to him at the time, it was probably more than 10 years ago because uh, Positive Luxury wasn't born. And I said, you know, my next company will have a butterfly as a symbol of, of that, of how you make the most negative story into a positive, yes. which this is it. And that was that. I mean, when we came out with the butterfly mark, that is why the butterfly mark is, is, is a butterfly because of the butterfly effect, the network effect, the fact that they can touch millions and the fact that, you know, they turn into from a chrysalis to a beautiful butterfly. And the fact that humans can have the most devastated impact in the environment, but yet if we work together, we can actually turn the corner and turn it around. So that's why butterflies for me. Well, thank you for sharing. Because I, and I'm glad I asked this question. I hesitated whether to ask or not because I thought maybe it's just uh, it was done by from a graphic designer. I mean, should I ask this question? But I'm very glad I asked you. It's amazing. Well, I mean, in the very beginning, I must confess, uh, the butterfly was blue. And, uh, and then very quickly, we rebranded into what it is today. And this was yeah. almost like nine, nine years ago. But yeah, I mean, it was a, an incredible inspiration meeting him. And I'm very proud of the butterfly because it really represents this kind of, you know, kind of rebirth and, and yes. metamorphosis and that fantastic, like, you know, kind of transformation. And that is what we need to do. We need to transform our planet. Yes, it's uh, well for me as well. Butterfly is about transformation, renewal, hope, optimism. Because you told me you grew up in dictatorship. I grew up in communist Bulgaria, and actually we became refugees in 1989. And my grandfather in Bulgaria, he will say to me, "Look for the white butterfly. If you see a white butterfly, your whole summer will be beautiful." And uh, it remained with me this the symbol of white butterfly. To me, of course, it, I remember of my grandfather every time he passed away many years ago. But now, anytime I see a white butterfly, I think there is hope, there is optimism. It's about love. And he would also say to me, connected to sustainability, he will always say, you have to fry in your own oil. It's very important to fry in your own oil. It's about sustainability because in Bulgaria, especially in communism, we grew all of our vegetables, fruits. You live on your own. You basically fry in your own oil. To me, this is about sustainability as well. With When we started Nerikara, we immigrated with two suitcases only and we had no external capital at all. It truly started from absolute zero. So today it became fashionable to buy 
scraps of leather from Italian suppliers or luxury suppliers and you know the circular economy. We did it 20 years ago because you know you have to fry in your own oil. It's sustainability. So that's my own story of the butterfly. That is beautiful. That is very inspirational. I will think about you every time I see a white <laughs> butterfly. <laughs> Thank you. So sustainability actually means uh, like I shared my own what sustainability means to me just now, which is frying in your own oil. Sustainability means different things to different people. So what does sustainability mean to you? I think I take the Harlem Brutland uh, definition, which is how we live by pos in positive luxury too, which is about meeting the needs of today without compromising future generations' needs. And I think this is it. It's like, you know, we have an incredible planet. And if you think about, if you read the, read the latest APCC report, there is more and more uh, species uh, collapsing and in extinction. And this is not just animals, it's also flora, like, you know, vegetables and, and plants and so on. So I think that future generations have the same rights that we do to experience our planet, our Earth, in the same way. And I don't know if you remember, but when I was a child, long time ago, I remember driving in the car and to have, you know, the windscreen full of insects. Yes. We don't have that anymore. So it's just those little things like, you know, that, you know, even Disney made a movie out of that. You know, all of these small things are actually not so small, mm -hmm. are actually massive. And, you know, we need, to, we need to be able to preserve, conserve and replenish and restore our world because that is what we owe to the people that are coming after us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have a two, two and a half year old uh, son and I often think, just a few weeks ago, I was telling my husband, I the taste of cucumbers from my childhood or the strawberries that we grew in our garden had a certain taste. I don't get the same taste. And I said, what if Flynn will get the taste from laboratory cucumbers? You know, I, I'm exaggerating, of course, but there is the fear. What about the future generation? Yeah, agreed. I absolutely agree with you. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what drives me. That's what really gets me out of bed without coffee. And uh, you, together with Bain and Company, you published the report Luxco 2030. Uh -huh. uh, very inspiring. I actually read it and I found it incredibly informative, but you also talked about it at the FT, the Global Luxury Conference. And I do recommend for those who are who have a business who are interested in sustainability to read it. It's incredibly informative. Could you tell us its key messages? Yes, of course. I mean, Bain & Co has been a fantastic thinking partner, knowledge partner with us. And uh, the report uh, is inspired to think about, uh, you know, commerce in a non-linear way. So if we think about circular economy in terms of raw materials in a circular way, how would commerce work in a circular way? And this is about the birth of different or alternative business models, like, you know, renting or leasing or repairing. What would it mean? I mean, the reality is that we don't need more of anything. We can buy stuff because we want to, and sometimes because we need to. But a lot of these things that we have, we can reuse, we can repair, we can resell. 
And you know, there's other ways to make money than just uh, in a linear way. And that's what the report is about. It's about what is the business case of circular business models. And uh, it's super interesting. And uh, yeah, definitely, like you said, I'm not going to give it away because I hope people read it. And, uh, and you've got, it's of course free of charge, so you can download it uh, from the website. And uh, yeah, and if you have any questions, please let us know. But I think a self-explanatory and, and actually uh, it sparked the imaginations of a, of a different way of, of commerce, really. And you see luxury brands actually investing in circular economy. Caring Group, LVMH, in buying part of investing in Vestiaire Collective, for example. It's quite interesting to see how they are responding to that as well. So... There, there is something that they are seeing too, the big luxury groups. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the way. If you think about the growth of companies like Depop um, and also, also like Vestia Collective, you know, you don't have to wait until you have a big, big salary to, to buy luxury. First and foremost, luxury is a really good business case because it lasts you for longer. You can resell it and actually extend the life of that product, which is exactly what we need. So this is the business case for luxury versus fast fashion. The fact that, you know, things last you for longer, you can resell them. And it's this whole re-commerce side, which is, you know, very, very interesting. So, yeah, and, and you can buy them equally, you know, pre-loved. So you can buy them, you can use them. And then when you want them anymore, you can sell them again and they hold the value. And this is what is the business case for, for, for all these uh, kind of alternative business models is to do with quality. It's to do with craftsmanship, with design, with desirability, and to actually, you know, you, you should not work. You, you grew up in communist Bulgaria. I grew up in, not communist, but, you know, a, a, a military regime in Argentina. There was no other way. Um, so, yeah, we should, I don't think we should go back to that from a philosophical perspective, but we should be caring about the natural resources a lot more than we do. Absolutely. And uh, what is your vision for positive luxury for the business? So our business is, is, is moving towards uh, being global. And that means pretty much every corner of the earth. And uh, we are working much more closer with suppliers as well. So it's obviously, like I said in the beginning, is that you are good as, as the suppliers that you have. Um, so we're working with suppliers and also trying to uh, inspire brands to to really understand that that ecosystem is is important in order if you in order to have a, a really positive impact in in what you do. So yeah, I mean it's exciting. It's uh, it's an exciting future, I think. It is. And uh, do you have role models? Oh my God, you know you will not know them. A lot of my girlfriends are my role models. They're mums. Yes. They juggle dog, husband, chickens, the lot. They are ordinary people that do a lot of things and, you know, and, and juggle many things. So my role models are perhaps the, the people that I know for sure that yeah. are what they are, not the public persona. So those are my role models. This is a very interesting answer. I immediately also thought of mine, who is a very good friend of mine. Shout out to Annabella Chan. Uh, you may know her actually. She has the, I interviewed her for the podcast as well. She has a sustainable luxury uh, jewelry brand. Oh, um, yes, I do know her. Yes, yes, yes. 
she's one of my best friends and she's my personal role model she's, yeah i mean this is the thing it's like it's you can have this public persona but it's only the people that you know that you know the struggles their vulnerabilities you know what they are about um and they can share that with you because sometimes you learn a lot more from someone's mistakes and for somebody's struggles and for somebody's successes so i am um, yeah i'm very proud of all my battle scars you learn a lot from that and those are the ones that you know those are the, the women and men that are my role models the one that you know they have the bodies and their souls full of scars <laughs> who who and what inspires you oh i don't know my team the newspapers not to do things the way they are yes um, i i don't know i mean i think that uh, you find inspiration in like every corner like i said I, i'm a positive person so i am um, i feel inspired by the mission really and i have one final question that i ask every guest if you met your 18 year old what advice will you give her to have the courage to start earlier yes i wish i would have done less parting and <laughs> more i'm i'm seeing this much earlier because the impact i would have had when i got to where i am today it could have made a massive difference in the trajectory where we are and i'm not saying this lightly i'm actually saying this i would have also given my team all a lot of other advice but probably that is uh to do with a whole of other things i need a completely different podcast for that uh, from a work related uh, <laughs> way i think i would have yeah definitely started earlier well thank you very much diana this was a very interesting inspiring interview thank you very much Well, thank you so much for uh, for having me, and uh, yes, I look forward to sharing this with everybody. Thank you.